Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thanks so very much for tuning in to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about three stories. One, it is the congressional contempt battle with President Trump uh, over the census question, census truth. Number two, refugee overload, Ebola in America. And number three, Sidney Powell and lawfare, huge, I mean huge, Democrat power grab in Washington. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hi again. Welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. There's a, for my first five today, I want to hit the story about what the battle happening in Washington, D.C. today over the content of the census questions. We've talked about in the show in the past that the census, the Constitution requires a census be done every 10 years. And the census just counts how many people are inside our borders, citizens, non-citizens, whoever's here. In fact, I used to serve on a commission in Dallas, uh, a city uh, commission where the census was coming up and we got a long lecture delivered to every single committee uh, for the city about the content, the requirement of the census, which really was to encourage people, no matter how old, how young, how new in America, whoever you are, you're supposed to be counted in the census. In fact, the language in the Constitution that recalls for a census is it's in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, representatives and, <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me get to the right, uh, blah, 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 representatives, which is uh, United States um, House members, and direct taxes shall be apportioned among the several states, which may be included within the union according to their respective numbers which shall be determined by adding to the whole number. And then it goes on and on and on, basically talking about the people who should be counted in the census, including those bound to service for term of years. And the whole point is, it's making clear that the census is supposed to count people. And, and then the actual enumeration, the Constitution goes on to require, be done every 10 years. So we have a census coming up in 2020. The Trump administration proposed last year uh, through the Commerce Department, I guess two years ago now, through the Commerce Department, uh, uh, the idea that the census should ask, in addition to all the other invasive questions they ask, are you a citizen? Well, the left is out of their minds about the idea that the census may gather data about how many people are in this country illegally. No one's arguing that those people here illegally should not be counted in the census. What they're arguing is that the census should be able to enumerate citizens and non-citizens. As you might imagine, the Democrats are out of their minds in Washington trying to stop this census question from appearing in the 2020 census. The power of the numbers in the census are that, as you were hearing from the Constitution, it determines the number of representatives each state gets in U.S. Congress. In fact, calculations based on the number of illegal aliens believed to be in California who've been counted in past censuses means that California may have up to nine more representatives in the U.S. Congress than they should if our census only counted citizens or if the census could distinguish between citizens and non-citizens. And that number of representatives in Congress actually obviously helps the Democrat majority. It also impacts the Electoral College. It essentially, 
including illegal aliens in the census, gives power to illegal aliens to be counted as, rep as citizens of a state, to be part of the count that determines uh, representation in Congress, determines electoral college. The last thing it does, it has a great deal to do with money from the federal government, money allotted to the tax dollars, allowed to the states based on the number of people. So what I really want to hone in on about today, this first five is this, and this is probably my takeaway point of this entire first five. The Democrat Party wants to obliterate the idea of citizenship. You need to process that reality. They don't want a secure border. They support sanctuary cities. They move to legalize everyone who enters America illegally at every chance they get. They don't want the idea of citizenship to matter. Putting this question on the census calls to the public's attention how many people are here without the legal right to be here, and it will impact their power in Congress and their power in the Electoral College. So there's a there's a fuss going on in Congress right now, and the um, what's happening is that the well, com the Commerce Department issued this notice that they were going to change the question on the census. There are regulations that require that a comment period occur. People can chime in, say yes, no, whatever. Ever. And there's an argument by the left that the Commerce Department did not precisely follow the notice procedures. They didn't follow and allow sufficient time for the people um, who would want to comment either way on whether that sentence, that question should be added to the census. And so their opposition, they claim, is not because we really, you know, nothing about our, our mission to legalize everyone illegally here. We just want to see procedure followed. This is what you'll hear in a clip coming up in just a moment here from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is trying to hold the party line, lamenting that the real problem is just that we didn't follow the procedures in making the decision about whether or not this question should be added to the sentence, census. So here is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It is one of the most vital and sensitive things that we do in our government. Any change to the census, any addition of a question, usually takes five years of a process to make sure that it is vetted, that every word has been tested, to make sure that it is effective, because it is one of the most important things that we do. So it's not that I want to, this is not about whether or not I want to know who is a citizen in the United States or not. What I want to know is why after, why this question was added, why two years have been shaved off of that five-year process. I want to know why we have skipped every normal mandated procedure in testing how this question gets added in the census. No, she doesn't want to. She that's that's not true. What she said she does want to oppose the addition of the of the question on the census, but it's because she and her entire party don't want America more tuned into, more aware of the large number of people in our country who are present without a legal right to be here. The argument of the left is that you will get inaccurate account, especially in, in high immigrant areas, because you have people who won't want to answer the census if they have to acknowledge they're not here legally. So the Democrats would rather protect the people here illegally and make them feel comfortable participating in the census, not having to acknowledge that they have actually no legal right to be here. 
several things happened today in Washington. One is that the uh, Elijah Cummings, the relentless pursuer of everything Trump, every way he can fight President Trump, um, had actually asked uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Um, he's talking about holding uh, both Wilbur Ross and Attorney General William Barr in contempt because he, as chair of the House Oversight Committee, is saying that he's asked for documents and they won't produce them. And let me make clear what they're looking for. All the Democrats are looking for, they're not looking for proof that some precise procedure wasn't followed or adequate notice wasn't given. They're looking for something written down somewhere that can allow them to make the argument that the Republican administration, the Trump administration, the Trump Commerce Department are engaged in a racist, intolerant, mean-spirited quest to find out who's here legally and who's illegal. This is entirely about trying to find a motive, proof of the alleged motive of racism or intolerance or xenophobia, whatever word they're gonna to attach to it, trying to find something somebody down, wrote down in the discussion leading up to the wording of the question on the census. Notice Ocasio-Cortez even acknowledges, we've had three years to be talking about this. I mean, it's not that complicated. You know, are you a citizen, yes or no? Or are you a citizen, what is your legal status? Because people could be here on a green card. They could be here in other forms of legal presence in America. But so this committee has gotten to a fuss now with Wilbur Ross and President Trump essentially saying, we want to see all these documents, even though they've already received something in the realm of 17,000 documents, they want more documents. They want to dig into the Democrats do until they find something that can allow them to pin on President Trump the motive of racism, which is always what they are trying to do. The Trump administration today announced they are actually exerting executive privilege within or underneath the idea of executive privilege includes uh, work product, attorney client, other more, kind of more minor or narrow descriptions of reasons that things can be privileged. But the Trump administration ex asserted executive privilege over these documents that the Democrats want. Understand, there's no, there's no big secret here. There's no hidden anything. There is simply the effort of the left to embarrass and impugn and attack the president by trying to say he's asking the census question because of some nefarious motive. Uh, one more point about um, this, and I want to tell you about the Supreme Court. But stop and think, what is the motive? What is the motive of Elijah Cummings, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the whole American left? What is the motive in fighting so hard against the idea of having a question on the census, are you a citizen? Or what is your legal status here? Because what they're really trying to do in the, in the big picture way, is to blur the idea of citizenship. They like the overrepresentation in Congress, represented by the fact that many, many people in, in Democrat majority states like California, California is filled with illegal aliens. They welcome them. They pay for their housing and their food and their, med and their medical care. I mean, it's a haven for illegal aliens in California. Democrats would like nothing better than to have those folks counted in the census and then to have the census used to measure the population as, as the population measure and then determine the number of uh, seats that, that they get in the U.S. House. They don't want to honor the idea of citizenship, the unique, extraordinary idea of citizenship, which is a contract, a commitment between the person and the country. I'm here. I have a legal status. 
I agree with the rule of law in America. I will follow the rule of law. I understand the government has power to enforce the rule of law. I understand that to be a, a citizen in good standing, I have to follow the rule of law. These, these concepts of citizenship, especially citizenship in America, where we have this unique idea of citizen government, we the people government, that idea requires responsible people accepting the concept of citizenship in America. This is what the Democrats hate. The idea that citizenship matters. What they want more than anything else to continue to allow the southern borders to be flooded, uh, overrun by people entering America illegally, to continue to strive to give some legal status to those people, push them towards citizenship, because they th see those people as the generation of a permanent Democrat voting majority in this country if they can only somehow make them legal. One last thing on this first five, which is this. This case is actually before the Supreme Court. I saw it characterized, the question whether the question can be added to the census or not. I saw a characterization of it in one, one uh, news site that was saying, uh, you know, this is a technical administrative kind of issue. Yeah, kind of. This, I mean, it is. They're going to have to look at the question whether or not the, you know, did the uh, administration, the, the Commerce Department, which has authority over the census, did they sufficiently or close enough follow their regulations or not? That's kind of the narrow question. But the larger question is: Is the government going? Is the court going to allow a government to begin to reassert the value and the importance of citizenship? I think the hearing in the Supreme Court was in April. The, the court appeared divided along partisan lines: or conservative versus liberal. Four. So then, uh, and the court will rule later this month whether or not this um, it, there's a constitutional problem, whether there was a violation of the law in having this ch this change added to the um, census. But I guess in closing out my first five today, I think if you ever needed proof that the American left simply does not care about the concept of citizenship, will use any means possible to gain power, to regain power to legitimize people who have no legal right to be here, make them into citizens because they see those people as easily manipulable, ignorant people who don't understand America's system, and they that is a perfect Democrat voter. And that, my friends, today is my first five. Okay, I want to turn today to my next story, and it kind of relates to the border about the refugee overload. This has been an amazing story in, the, in our southern border, and I, I just want to tell you some facts about it and then a kind of more personal thing about it. I mean I'm here in Texas my home is in Texas and uh, something even happening right here in Texas so to start with we've talked many times about the southern border completely porous insecure the American left will not agree to fund the wall they won't fund sufficient border patrol agents they won't fund sufficient housing to allow people who are coming here seeking asylum to remain somehow in our custody before they process before they uh, have their asylum hearing and in fact I started the show yesterday by mentioning that the HHS secretary testified to Congress no, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, testified in front of Congress that when they have asylum seekers come across the border and we don't have sufficient courts, judges, Border Patrol agents, professionals in place to process asylum seekers, we have to tell people at our border, you know, you're, you came across, we know you're trying to seek asylum. There's a specific asylum law in America and a court has to decide if you meet the standard or not. So we tell these people, you know, you're, I know you're seeking asylum, come on in, here's your temporary permission, and you need to come back, here's your court date. 
come back to this court on this date with the testimony in front of Congress yesterday, or whatever, last week or yesterday, the, DA, the uh, Department of Homeland Security testimony was of the people who come across the border seeking asylum, who are released into our interior and told to come back for a court date, 90% never show. And if that shocks you, uh, that's, I'm really sorry to hear that. If you listen to the show regularly, it shouldn't shock you at all. But anyway, uh, on to what's happening. So now on our southern border here in the gray state of Texas, there is one particular um, section of the border patrol. Texas, obviously, we, we our southern borders with Mexico. One particular uh, segment or sector of Texas's border with Mexico called the Del Rio sector, just in Texas, just in the six days following May 30th. So in a six-day period, at the start of this month, essentially, in one sector of Texas, we had 500 people cross the border from Africa. Just let that sink in, from Africa. So we're not talking about Central Americans who are aware America is just you know, part of their continent, they're gonna walk north, or it's part of the Western Hemisphere. These are people who could not have walked here, to be clear obviously didn't walk here. These are people from three different particular countries, mainly the Democrat Republic of Congo. Um, so they've had these people coming across the border and these 500, that's just one handful. They've had thousands and thousands crossing our southern border from Africa. And when they come from Africa, many of them are fleeing countries that have a huge Ebola problem. If you recall Ebola, we talked there was a big crisis a few years ago here in Texas, actually in Dallas, Texas, where Ebola, which is apparently highly contagious, someone with Ebola got through, got into the system, um, got into our system, was living in Dallas and uh, infected. Uh, was infected himself, infected others, infected people at the hospital where he was taken. Ebola is an extremely dangerous, dangerous disease. So we have Ebola countries, people coming to America from countries overrun with Ebola, crossing our southern border. And then uh, there's also this, um, I'll just tell you this story. So this particular uh, story was about the city of San Antonio, which is uh, south of us. But uh, in San Antonio, there is the assistant city manager, Dr. Colleen Bridger, who was basically told, said, told the media officials were not informed by the border patrol that the migrants were on their way. They had, um, they had migrants from crossing the southern border illegally from the Congo, country in Africa, didn't walk here, got across the border, and the border patrol has to put them somewhere. That's it, sent them to San Antonio. So San Antonio is now dealing with people who uh, don't speak English. They are, San Antonio, the city itself, is seeking French African dialect speakers to help hundreds of released African border crossers. So there is no information, no presentation that anyone screened these people for Ebola or anything else that we became so desperate at the border because we have no border security, we have no willingness on the American left to create border security, and we end up people with people in San Antonio um, who are looking for, who need help. I mean, they had videos online of people being uh, marched through, people from the Congo marched through the city of San Antonio into churches that agreed to put them up for some period of time. And I wanna say this about that. Everyone cares about people in Africa. Everybody cares about Ebola. Everybody cares about poverty. Everybody wants everyone, both sides of the aisle, everyone of every race, ethnicity, national origin, political background, political persuasion, everybody cares. 
The question is not whether we despise somebody because they came from Africa and they may be carrying Ebola. The question is, what is our legal process in this country to deal with this? How did people in the Congo get the idea, if they somehow got into Mexico, that we would let them cross our southern border, that they could show up and ask for asylum, and somehow we would let them come and we would take care of them? This is not a rational policy for a civilized country. This is not rational. This is not even kind. This is not kind to the people of San Antonio who now have to worry. And it isn't just San Antonio. I mentioned them because they happen to be in Texas. But this is happening in other cities around America. I was going to read you some of those other cities. Um, Portland, Maine has taken a bunch of them. Portland, Maine actually was where this group that came to San Antonio was supposed to be sent to Portland. Portland said we can't take anymore. You've you got to stop sending them here. Uh, sent to Los Angeles. Sent all over the country. The point is, this is not a government policy that is respecting the people of our country. It's not a government policy that is responsible. Responsible policy has to have a clear, specific border policy in mind. They have to enforce a border. They have to decide when people come here from Ebola-stricken countries that before we just let you in, set you on a bus, in fact, one charity was saying they're spending $14,000 a day buying bus tickets for people who come across the border so they can bus them off to some city where they are then loaded off the bus and the city is supposed to figure out how to take care of these people. I know my left-wing compassionate friends would argue that of course America can help these people, that we have the best health care in the world, we have the best medical care, we have the most abundance, we have prosperity, surely we can absorb these people. And you know, maybe we'll come up with some policy where we agree on the numbers, who can come, the priorities, how they'll be taken care of. But this is not a policy. This is just lawless, random abandon, abandonment of the border and lawless, random infliction of people on various cities who do not have the means to care for these people, who are scrambling to find out where can we house them, how can we screen them for their health concerns, what are we going to do if they have Ebola or some other, you know, they could have the flu or pneumonia or whatever other problems they may have, along with other very serious diseases they may be bringing here. What is the strategy in place in those cities to protect the citizens of those cities who actually who pay taxes, who expect to have the city and the county and the state and the government have their interests in mind. This is not compassion. This is cruelty on the part of the left in this country who simply will abandon the idea of citizenship, abandon the idea of borders, abandon the idea of a lawless asylum process, all with a goal because they want to send the signal that they're the ones who care, send the signal, sure, we can help, we're, we're America, we love everybody, come on in. And ultimately, my friends, it ties back to our first story, these on the American left, and I'm not talking about the average friendly Democrat voter who's your neighbor and you've been friends for years, I'm talking about the leadership of the American left. I'm talking about the leadership in Washington of the American left. They do not want a secure border. They do not want to have citizenship matter in the minds and hearts of the American people. They do not want to have an orderly asylum process. The idea of bringing hordes of people here, unchecked, 
setting them loose in cities with the notion that somehow will those cities will find care and protection and medical screening and medical care and housing and food and, and everything they'll need and somehow those people ultimately will become Democrat voters someday. This is the mindset of the American left. So this, so here, actually, I'll tell you one last quick thing about San Antonio. You know, you might, if you're watching this show from some other place beside Texas, you know, you might think, well, Texas is so conservative, you know, they probably don't even have sanctuary cities. Yeah, we do. I'll tell you about San Antonio. It's so interesting. In San Antonio, the leadership tried to say several years ago, we're not a sanctuary city. No, 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 don't, don't think that. But the, the actual police chief of San Antonio issued a statement attacking the Texas legislature for a bill then pending that was called the Anti-Sanctuary Cities Bill, or it had a more positive name, but it was a bill pending in the Texas legislature that was trying to say in Texas, we don't have sanctuary cities. We have the rule of law, that we insist that our city police officials, government, comply with and cooperate with immigration authorities from Washington. We insist that the people who are in our government, who are being paid by our taxpayers, comply with the federal government and immigration law and ICE. The city of San Antonio police chief uh, put out a statement, no, we're not a sanctuary city, but, you know, he was basically saying whether they are or not, the San, the San Antonio police department has policies on the book books directing officers not to ask people for proof of citizenship or legal residency and routine police encounters in fact the police chief said in a, in a media interview that this sanctuary cities bill was damaging to local law enforcement this is one of the arguments left came up with why you can protect sanctuary cities because you know local law enforcement is harmed by having citizens be afraid of the police citizens won't cooperate with the police if they know the police may say and by the way do you, you know do you have where's your green card or are you a legal citizen so the police came up with a which to me was just one of those left-wing cooked up ideas but a defense of why police departments is the same defense they use in, in california other places that really sanctuary city policies are bad Sanct protecting or not having sanctuary cities or being a strong statement we are not a sanctuary city you have we, we will cooperate with ice that somehow that hurts the local police departments and their ability to enforce the law and to investigate i think that's just hogwash but anyway kind of ironic that now san antonio which is a lovely historic wonderful city people i love to go there people love to go there but they've now got a big population of people from Congo and other places in Africa um, who have been dropped on their doorstep, literally like a stranger dropping someone on your doorstep, put, put off the bus from the border. And, and by the way, these are all from Congo, non-English speaking. They need, they, they're looking for translators, healthcare, uh, churches to step up. And I, what I'm getting at is this. Again, I want to say, I know it's very easy for someone to listen to what I'm saying and say, well, you just don't care because you, you know, you're not being compassionate. It's not compassionate to America, to our citizens, to have insecure borders, to have an asylum policy that has no tethering to law, no tethering to 
applying asylum law to the people who come across, no ability to process to, that we don't even have our asylum courts funded sufficiently to process the number of people claiming asylum. And the larger point is, all of this border insecurity is a result of years and years of messaging from the American left to the world, come on in, America's open for business, we don't secure our borders, we barely pay enough people to work border patrol, come on in, we'll, we're gonna, we'll figure it out later, you can come on in and don't worry, they'll give you a little piece of paper telling you when to appear for your asylum hearing and uh, that, that's good enough for them. This is not the way to run a country. It's not fair or kind to the American citizens. And frankly, it's not even care, f fair, kind, or good to all the people who live, stay in their home countries, apply for refugee status, wait to find out if they've been granted refugee status, and then come here legally. This is letting border crossers, asylum seekers, even those from Africa, jump in line ahead of all the people who tried to follow America's laws. Not right. And my last topic for today, and this might be my most fun topic, I just can't even tell you how uh, just great and exciting news I have uh, about this topic. So you may remember Sydney Powell. She's been on this show before. She's, it's a woman, Sydney Powell. She's the author of this book called License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice. She's been on the show uh, numerous times. She happens to be a Dallas attorney. She's also a um, former U.S. attorney. At the time, she was the youngest assistant U.S. attorney ever appointed. She's worked in the Justice Department um, as a prosecutor. She now has a private practice where she does federal appeals. So she has a federal appellate practice. She's argued over 500 cases, which is a huge number for any lawyer, over 500 cases in the federal appellate system. And she is the one, her book, License to Lie, was and is about the, uh, is from 2014, it's about what happened inside the FBI in the prosecution in the Enron and other cases. But the Enron was a key case, the prosecution of Enron, key case in which her book really was a, uh, it was an eye-opening, um, you know, whistle-blowing book describing the corruption inside the FBI. She talked, she told stories, names, places, dates, who did it, what sequence occurred. She told the story of literally, and one of the main characters in the story, and this is not a fiction, a true story. She told a story, particularly of Andrew Weissman. He is an, uh, a U.S. prosecutor. He, he worked with her in the Enron case. Andrew Weissman, as she describes him, was the kind of attorney who would literally make up charges converge two laws into one when so she, he would make something that was legal into something not legal and then prosecute and put innocent people in prison he had one in one particular case the way he concocted this allegation of, of violating a law by merging two different laws was reversed he was found at fault by the Supreme Court, reversed 9-0. He is vengeful, nasty, vindictive, mean-spirited, and as Sidney Powell often describes, you know, prosecutors, their goal is not to find a way to convict their, the defendant. Their goal is to find the truth. And if the truth in your discovery, in your preparation, helps you, causes you to see that the accused was wrongly accused or overcharged or charged with something that didn't quite fit, your job is to pursue truth. It is not to pursue convictions. It's a core tenet of a civilized, 
criminal justice system, core tenant of America's criminal justice system. Andrew Weissman, key player described over and over in License to Lie. He's also, if you're recognizing that name, he's also the one who has been heavily involved in the Mueller investigation of the, uh, the complete frame-up of President Trump, of the Trump-Russia collusion frame-up cooked up inside the FBI. The conduct of Andrew Weissman and others on the Mueller team was uh, egregious beyond description, working very hard to make innocent people force them through, and, and you might be thinking, well, if they're innocent, then nothing can happen to them, they'll be fine. Not true. You have not ever experienced, if you've not ever experienced, which I have not, don't ever hope to, but have not experienced the power that the federal government has, especially the FBI, to investigate everything in your life, every check you've written, every tweet you've sent, every text message you've sent, and find something. If you haven't experienced that, I'm happy for you, but unfortunately for many people involved uh, being charged by the FBI, and particularly by working with this uh, Andrew Weissman, this is a, a he's a dangerous, dangerous uh, federal prosecutor. So why we're talking about him today is this. Uh, so we so last night here in Dallas, uh, we had a tremendous event. I was asked to be uh, to do you know one of those events where you have somebody on stage who's famous and you interview them. So I was asked to interview Sidney Powell at an event last night here in Dallas. So I did that very I and mean, we, we did a whole hour. We ran through kind of it was all, all on this Spygate thing, but you know, ran through kind of what happened, all the wrongdoing inside uh, the Obama administration in pinging the NSA database before the whole Mullergate even came to came to public attention. So we talked, we went through basically what happened even before the uh, Trump-Russia collusion thing came up, the, the Obama administration abusing the NSA database. And we talked about the, you know, the charges, how we, we came to have the Trump-Russia collusion hoax start, you know, the dossier thing. And we also talked about the, uh, the FBI setting up George Papa uh, and then we talked about, you know, how do you find accountability in this? How do you, you know, how do we set the records right? So it was a really substantive great thing. One case we didn't talk much about, though, was Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who, as you may recall, early on in the... Um, in this whole uh, appointment of Mueller, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was completely, completely entrapped by the Mueller team ended up, you know, and I'll go through all the stories of his case again because I want to get to my more important case of what's happening today on that subject. But Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, just a stellar guy. Uh, he's been on my show, this show. He's been on other shows where I've substitute hosted. He's a stellar guy, you know, a true servant, a leader, an American who served in our military for years honorably, just completely mistreated by Weissman and others in the FBI end up pleading guilty, you know, bankrupted, had to sell his house. And so he's one who's still part of, um, he had to break away from the Trump team and a Trump defense kind of uh, organized, uh, organized effort and working himself. But the great news that um, I, I was out today is that Sidney Powell has now taken over the representation of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. This is great news. This is great news 
for Flynn, for Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Great news for Sidney Powell, who's been on top of this. She's on all the, the big news shows all the time trying to explain to people the inner workings of the FBI and the Department of Justice, what was so wrong about the whole FISA warrant application process, and what was so wrong about the, how the dossier could have been sufficient to get a FISA warrant. She has been relentless in pointing out how egregious the conduct has been by the FBI and Department of Justice in this entire Mueller mess. So she's now representing Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. Part of what she talked about last night was really the topic of our last uh, segment today. I'm just thrilled, by the way, that for Michael Flynn, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. I think he's he's just and I, I got to tell you, for maybe, maybe Andrew Weissman is a little tiny bit nervous today. Let us hope because his conduct was so out of line. In fact, one thing she was saying on stage last night, Sidney Powell was saying, was that you know all of us all along kept t calling us the Mueller investigation and the Mueller statement when he came out and gave a statement last week and the Mueller report. And one of her central points last night was that it was really Weissman, Andrew Weissman, pretty much running the whole thing. Pretty much running the whole thing. Andrew Weissman was the, she said, I see his fingerprints all over this, over the report that uh, Mueller submitted as his report, over the way the report went out of its way to dangle temptation in front of Congress to find some basis for perhaps an obstruction charge against the president to allow them to move forward with impeachment. She says Mueller... You know, he was uh, sitting in the back of the room, you know, in, in the corner, twiddling his thumbs during this investigation. Weissman ran it, and Weissman is really a bad actor. So, so back to what is, is happening in Washington today. So this is a great thing. I think Andrew Weissman hopefully is getting very worried, um, and I think Sidney Powell's presence in a formal way in this case is a great thing for America. But I want to introduce one thing she talked about last night, and we're going to be talking about this more going forward. There's a concept called lawfare like L-A-W-F-A-R-E, lawfare. It is the use of, the, of laws and the legal system to push your agenda. And in particular, what is so um, egregious and outrageous that is happening as an example of lawfare is inside the United States Congress, the, the Democrat-run Congress. And that is the idea that very, just, just today, I think, in fact, I think it was just today, that the... Um, that the uh, Congress voted to give more power, more subpoena power to the chairs of various committees. The overarching characterization Sidney Powell gave to this is that the ways in which the U.S. House changed their rules about how they function, it's like they created the U.S. House as a mini Department of Justice that they went past their role of, obviously the main role of Congress is to represent the people, to consider and pass laws. They also have an oversight function. They have oversight over the other branches. All the branches kind of have, they're supposed to be three co-equal branches, they all kind of have oversight. But her point was that the House, under Speaker Nancy Pelosi, extended so much power to committee chairs that they kind of set up their own little fiefdom, their own little, um, you know, uh, mini Department of Justice designed to give more power to the committee chairs to go after all the people they want to destroy, all the people they want to investigate. So they're talking about, for example, they don't have, you know, the uh, they can issue subpoenas. You know, the question was, well, once they issue a subpoena and they have they this 
website that's very favorable to this law for fair concept characterize it as that the house is streamlining subpoena enforcement but when so they're saying if they subpoena you know some character let's say it's the, the president's former attorney mcgann they subpoena him he doesn't produce documents whatever they ask him to do or show up they the house gave themselves through their own votes and it was a straight party line all the democrats voted in favor of these changes today or yesterday or today and all republicans voted against it the point is they're trying to give these house committee chairmen more power to punish people who don't comply with their subpoenas including the power to fine so the mission of this entire effort, and we'll talk about this more. I'm going to have to go into this again tomorrow and give you more detail about it. But the gist of it is, it's designed to give more power to the Democrat committee chairs to continue to harass, intimidate, and threaten everyone connected with Donald Trump. Everyone connected with anything they want to investigate, they want to be able to use these powers to simply, it doesn't matter what Trump says, if they've got somebody in their crosshairs, they've got someone they, they think could get them to turn to be able to use their subpoena power, now streamlined, use the punishments they, they've now given themselves a the power to, to um, pronounce, they think they can essentially corner Trump with all that they're going to do by getting other, everyone around him under their thumb. This is what Pelosi is doing is a continuation of the Mueller witch hunt. It's the continuation of the kind of tactics Mueller used. This idea of cornering somebody and trapping them, scaring them, frightening. I mean, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn lost his house. He's lost everything. And, and so this, what the left is doing, there may be a challenge there. I'm not sure who can bring it, maybe Solicitor General, but there needs to be a challenge about whether this usurpation of power by the House is, is justified by the Constitution and the Constitution's saying that the House and the Congress has oversight over the executive branch and judicial branch, say, oh, they're all co-equal, or did the Congress overstep their bounds? Did they step past the bounds of oversight and essentially acquire or ordain for themselves something more like judicial power or more like executive power because they don't have, they aren't the executive branch and they aren't the judicial branch. They are the legislative branch. Oversight may have some limits on it and I think there may be a challenge to what they're about to do. What you're going to see between now and the 2020 elections and frankly even past then is the effort, it is a you know, death by a thousand hacks expression, the effort to go after President Trump in every conceivable way using these new powers, going after people who have some information that perhaps they can get from them via subpoena. They don't respond to the subpoena or they don't answer to the liking of that particular committee chair. And then you're going to see the argument that those people are going to be held in contempt. They're going to be fined. This is a very dangerous phase that Nancy Pelosi has started in the U.S. House. And how far they'll go with it and whether the courts will permit them to go with it is a really, really important question. So I'll wrap up today by saying that there's so much happening in Washington. I want to be sure, and I always try to say in every show, I do this show out of simple love of this country out of grave concern for where we're headed in this country. Grave concern over what the American left is about, what they want to do, 
what their missions are, how much the mission of the American left is really at its core, the destruction of the founding idea of America. The, the American left, the idea of destruction of borders, destruction of the rule of law, which we've seen in Mueller and the entire uh, FBI, DOJ conduct in this whole case. We see that the Congress usurping power that belongs to the executive and the judicial branches. What the American left stands for at its core is destruction of free markets, just uh, the, the crushing of individual liberty, the abandonment of the idea of citizenship, really at its core, what the American left stands for is the destruction of the idea of America as it was founded. And that's really why I do this show, to speak up for the extraordinary greatness of America, to raise alarm bells about how significant the actions of the American left are, how significant, how dangerous, how extreme they are, and to encourage everyone to be part of the fight to preserve this extraordinary, precious experiment in human liberty, America. And now I want to turn the part of the show when I tell you why all these stories I talked about today matter to you. The census questionnaire dispute. Um, the census is about counting people. Separate from that, voting is a right of citizenship. Citizenship is a specific legal stature. It's not the fact of where you happen to live. So citizenship different from the fact you happen to be in our border. A census that does not distinguish between citizens and non-citizens empowers those with no legal right to be in America with the power to, with aid from Congress, money from Congress, and with representation. The Democrats in Washington oppose the census question because they ignore, they want to ignore the idea that citizenship matters. The census questionnaire dispute is about who holds voting power in America. Common sense says voting power must belong to the American citizens. Next slide. Okay, refugee overload, Ebola in America. Uh, multiple American cities are struggling to cope with refugees. The American people are burdened by the influx of non-English speaking refugees uh, and border crossing refugees. Border insecurity causes this problem. And ask yourself, why is this influx in America from Africa? Why are African refugees flooding the Mexico-U.S. border? Who is containing the spread of refugee-linked uh, diseases? And Democrat opposition to border security is a huge part of the problem. Last slide, lawfare, why it matters to you. The Democrat Party has no purpose, no agenda, no mission, no substance, except hating Trump. Lawfare seeks to upend the American judicial system and the Constitution. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, you can see it in your screen, but the, the idea of it is, this lawfare thing is right, the idea of substituting the power of the American left for what the Constitution requires with the ultimate purpose of hampering, harassing, and ultimately removing President Trump. The American people must see through this desecration of their Constitution. This is part of the fundamental transformation that the D.C. Democrats seek. And that, my friend, is today's America Can We Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please like this page on Facebook. Please subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. And please tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, right here on America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you tomorrow.
talk truth about America. Can you-